content warning um this podcast episode is going to be a little bit more intense than the other two that we have um it's not going to go into like super intense detail but if you don't like i don't know phrases if you're like squeamish maybe listen with caution yeah listen with caution hello welcome back welcome back to bullets and spirits episode three three so excited it's our halloween episode we're dressed up for the listeners <laughs> for the people on um spotify nope can't watch the video on spotify or youtube, YouTube. um we know what we're talking about totally wait sorry i'm trying to pull this up i didn't pull it up yet the ring light is kind of burning my eyes right now. It's really bright, but I think it looks good. I think I'll suffer. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different because it's our spooky, scary Halloween episode. So we're going to talk about three different cases today. Oh, they're going to be kind of like short. Like I'm kind of just briefly going over it, but still kind of in depth. Okay. Um, so this episode might be a little bit longer, but I think it's going to be worth it because it's pretty scary they're all pretty intense yeah so i am going so our first one is about adrian adrian i'm not sure how to pronounce it insogna leslie marat mazara and lauren nianza my sources for this case are um here's the effing twist article titled true crime tuesday a ghastly halloween double murder forensic files now article titled eric koppel unfiltered rage and an insider article that i actually use for all three of them to get the cases from like some of them I already knew about um 10 terrifying murders committed on halloween night so let's get into Fun. it <laughs> um okay so adrian Leslie and Lauren had spent their Halloween night in 2004 passing out candy to trick-or-treaters in their Napa Valley, California home. They all ended up going to bed around 11 p.m. It's pretty early for Halloween, for my Halloween. Anyways. Anyways. Um, in the early hours of the morning, Lauren Mianza awoke, awoke to her dog growling, and then she heard screams and breaking glass. So some sources kind of vary here. Some say that Lauren ran out of the house and drove away while calling the police for help. And some say that she stayed, found her friends bleeding from multiple stab wounds and saw a man fleeing, but was unable to give a description. And then she like drove away cause she wasn't sure if she was still in danger or not, which mm. is smart. I mean, it sucks cause she left her friends, but. They were stabbed. They were stabbed, multiple yeah. stab wounds, yeah. So both Adrian and Leslie ended up passing away from the wounds. And almost a year after the murders occurred, a man by the name of Eric Koppel turned himself into the police for the crime. Five days before, police had released a statement declaring that they had a match on blood DNA evidence from the scene to cigarette butts found outside the house. Interesting. So yeah, so they found these cigarette butts outside the house and they matched the DNA on them to some of the blood some of the, the blood house. that was found yeah in the house and the cigarette brand was very unusual 
It's called Camel Turkish Gold. So it's not, I, I mean, I don't know cigarettes. Not my Marble Yeah. Marble Red. Yeah. So I don't know cigarettes, people. Yeah, I don't know. Cigarettes. I shouldn't even say um, that. But yeah, Maybe. I guess Camel Turkish Gold is not a very common cigarette brand. Huh. So they actually they like put it up on a billboard, I think, too. And they were like, Maybe they didn't put it up on the billboard, but they released a statement basically saying, hey, we have this matching DNA. And also the cigarette brand was Camel Turkish Gold. So police were hoping that this information would click for someone and they would come forward with a name. Yeah. Uh, so Cobble had actually confessed to the murders to his family and his new wife, Lily, who was friends with the victims. How old is Lily? She's about the same age as the victims who were about 26. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was meant to mention that. They're they're all around 26. Um, and Cobble's the same age. Okay. Um, so he was convinced by his wife to turn himself in immediately. Um, she, like, on one of the sources, it said, like, she knew something was really bothering him. And she, she told him, like, whatever you say will not make me love you any less than I do. And then he confessed to the murders. And she was like, I still love him. Like, girl. Well, she said that. She couldn't back out then. Yeah, I so, mean, it was I don't like know. a good and if, bad thing. If my husband was like, yeah, I killed two people, I'd be like, oh, let me revise that statement. I mean, she I, probably, I don't she know. She probably I wanted to, but she was probably like, you know, I said that and then he confessed to this and obviously he's really distraught about it. So like, that's unless true. he was like a cold-blooded killer that was like, yeah, I killed 50 people. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. He was, he was very distraught about it. Um... So, Koppel was eventually convicted of two counts of first-degree murder and took a plea deal. So, because he took a plea deal, there was no trial. And then an agreement was reached that Koppel would receive a life sentence without the possibility for parole instead of the death penalty. And Still kind of like a bad situation, though. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, he's in prison for the rest of his life. He's not getting out. Yeah, yeah. So. But I mean, even if he had the death penalty, he'd be in prison the rest of your life. Would you rather die than be in prison for the rest of your life? Uh, ne next. <laughs> okay. no, no comment on that one. No comment. Plead the fifth. Um, okay, so obviously we did have two victims who passed away, but we still have a third one. Lauren has suffered from survivor's guilt since that harrowing Halloween night and but yeah that's she, sad. she survived she's a warrior well did she get hurt no no I don't think she was hurt she's left I mean she might have like stepped on broken glass or something like oh, she wasn't hurt her. by yeah. Apple but yeah so okay so yeah that's it for that one it's a pretty crazy story okay so this next murder is about the Liskey family murders. Um, the sources here, a medium article titled BJ Liskey butchers family on Halloween true crime. Um, CBS article titled Ohio trip, Ohio triple murder. Teen thought it was a Halloween prank and Gracie's true crime blog post titled the case of the Liskey family. Gracie, Gracie. Gracie's true crime blog. You have a true crime blog that yeah. I didn't know about? Yeah. What? Yeah, don't you know? So you already know what happened. I, already know I don't all need this. to read this to you anymore. Right. Well, guilty. Actually, listeners, my name is Grace. Not, not Gracie. Gracie. Yeah. Please do not call me that. 
you're a true only, fan, you will not call I me that. Only I can call her that. No, yeah, not even my mom can call me that. Me. Not even me, sad. Okay, so go. on October 31st in 2010, Devin Griffin stopped by his house around 9.30 in the morning. He changed and got ready for church. He was going to go sing in the choir. And his stepbrother BJ was also up and they had a brief but somewhat strange conversation before Devin left. BJ asked where he was going and how long he would be gone, which was like odd for Devin because BJ normally was pretty quiet and didn't really talk. And like he was surprised that bj like cared mm. you know like if you're asking where someone's going and how long they're gonna be gone like yes, you care a little bit that. so he was just like that's odd and Devin also noticed that bj seemed to be acting happier than usual so Devin returned home around 1 30 he relaxed and played video games before coming to the conclusion that his house was too quiet on this sunday morning so he walked around the house trying to figure out where his family was and when Devin entered his mother, Susan Liskey, and stepfather, William Liskey's room, he found them laying in their bed with their comforter pulled up over their heads. So Devin began talking to them to try and wake them up. And then he noticed that his mom's leg was sticking out from one of the covers. So he tried tapping that to wake her up. And when he finally pulled the comforter back, he found the pillows to be soaked with blood. And Devin first thought, that this was just a Halloween prank. but Because it's Halloween. Because it's Halloween morning, yes. Yeah. Um, well, it's now, it's after. Well, yeah, it's but He quickly realized that this was not a joke. Um, he ran out of the house calling 911. Uh, when police arrived at the scene, they found a house of grisly murders. William and Susan had been shot in their bed. William had been shot five times in the head and face, according to the coroner. And Derek Griffin, who's Devin's brother, had a room upstairs and the door was locked from the inside, which police thought was kind of weird. Um, after the police kicked the door in, they found Derek curled up in his bed facing the wall. His death was the result of blunt force trauma and he most likely passed away within minutes of the first blow. How old is this? Like a baby? Uh, no, he's older than Devin, who, is, who was 16. Okay, so they're all, like, still teenagers. Yep. And then BJ, the stepbrother, is... Nowhere to be found. 18. Oh, um, I thought you were going to say he couldn't be found. Well, well, he's probably not there. No, he's not there. Okay. So, when interviewed, the neighbors claimed they had heard gunshots at around 6.30 in the morning. Well, like, what they thought sounded like gunshots, but, like, they were like, oh, it could have just been, like... Something... Fireworks, you know, you know how we always hear stuff more like, oh, it's probably fireworks, like it was probably something like that. Yeah. Um. Well, so, wait. Where was what's his name before when he said he returned to home at nine thirty and then he went to church? Mm -hmm. Or was he before that? Um. He was at his father's house for the. Over oh, the night. Okay. For like yeah. Saturday. And everything. So I don't. I think he there wanted the ring light. He's like, I don't know what that is. Um, investigators found a bloody claw hammer at the scene, and that matched with the wounds on Derek's head. Um, so BJ Liskey, William's son, was immediately determined to be the suspect. He had a troubled past full of violence and mental illness. Uh, BJ had received treatment for schizoaffective disorder bipolar type. So that might do it. Yeah. 
Um, do you know what schizoaffective disorder is? Uh, remind me. I it's we like an abnormal, but that was it. Omar does not understand what these are. Is her mom a bird? Can I feed her now? Um, yeah. Okay. So schizoaffective disorder is like kind of like a milder form of schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to like look it up. Um, okay, yeah, so it's it's basically schizophrenia, but like with mood disorder symptoms. So, sorry, I don't want to be like, um, so yeah, so basically he has schizophrenia and bipolar away. disorder. No, don't bat at me. <laughs> He's trying to get my wings. I'm gonna push him, but like, keep pushing. Don't. Don't. He's ready to smack me. He's ready to smack down. Okay. Just he's, he's good there. Okay, so yeah, so Sit. Sit. okay, schizoaffective disorder is basically schizophrenia and then a mood disorder together. So he had schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, basically. Um, okay. Yeah, which bipolar disorder is pretty intense. Um, and I'm not saying that like yes, he had mental illness, but in no way does having mental illness like make you a killer or a criminal or anything right so, right it should not just be wanted excuse. to put that out there. it can help explain why but it does not like automatically you know right anyways just had to do a little disclaimer there because you know mental health is important um so despite all of this all the violence and mental illness william had never given up on his son which is just really sad um the week before the murders, William had taken time off of work so he could go on a hunting trip with BJ. They had returned less than 24 hours before he would kill his father. And William firmly believed that BJ wouldn't hurt him and his family. BJ was staying at a halfway house, but when the pair had returned from their trip, they had some beers with the neighbors and William didn't feel comfortable driving BJ back. Uh, so they made up the couch and that, that's where BJ slept. So, like I said before, the neighbors said they heard gunshots around 6.30 in the morning, and this is consistent with the time of death as determined by authorities for uh, Susan Susan and William, yes. Um, and then Derek was determined to have him killed before his mom and stepdad. That's sad. Yeah. Um, so after the murders, BJ had bought a Subway sandwich and driven off to the family's cabin which is where they had stayed to go hunting on their trip. Um, and police quickly found him and brought him into custody. During the trial, it was said that BJ was emotionless. He did claim he loved his dad very much and it made him sick every time he thought about what he had done, uh, but he couldn't offer any explanation to what he had done, but pointed to his mental illness as playing a role. Um, so BJ entered three no. guilty pleas with counts for aggravated murder. So BJ entered three guilty pleas with counts for aggravated murder. So three counts of aggravated murder. Uh, he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. And in 2015, BJ took his own life at the age of 29 while serving his sentence. So that's the Liskey murders. And that brings us to the end of this episode. That's kind of crazy. I feel yeah. like, well, I'm, I feel bad for him that he took his own life, but he had nothing on the outside. Yeah, it's kind of, 
it's hard because on one side I'm like, uh, he was a murderer, like. Right, but at the same time, like, the same time he's, like, he's he still was 29 years old. He was 18. No, no, when he took his life. Oh, he yes, he was 29. He but was, yeah, he was 18, he was 18 whenever he when took their lives. I mean, like, he had... So much ahead of like, him. Right, and he had, like, mental illness, which... He's probably just confused and, like, didn't know yeah. how his feelings played out and just didn't know what else to I do. I mean, he could have been in, like, a manic episode and, like, mania by itself is already, like, it's not bad, but, like, you're just in such an elated mood and, like, like you don't sleep for, you know, ever and, like, it's just, like, crazy and then you add schizophrenia on top of that and he's probably, like freaking out hallucinating and delusion yeah delusions so yeah there's there's a lot in that one um in all of them really like yeah it's all i mean it's all sad it's all murder like there's nothing good out of these but um they are all solved so the families do have some sense of closure um so that's good good at least so our last murder of the night is called the toolbox killers i don't know if you ever heard of them mm -hmm. um this is their last murder um okay so this next one wikipedia article titled lawrence bittaker and roy norris and then talk murder to me article titled the sadistic torture rapes and murders of the toolbox killers Okay, so let's get into it. Um, so we're going to start with Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris. They met in prison in 1977. Such a, a great, best start to a friendship, meeting in prison. Um, That's where we met. Yeah, it is actually. Uh, they made plans to assault and murder girls from each teenage year from 13 to 19. Uh, the pair purchased a van upon both of their releases from prison in order to carry out their plans. And in 1979, they picked up 20 female hitchhikers as practice rounds. And by October of that same year, the pair had murdered four women. Oh my gosh. Yep. So now we're going to talk about Shirley Lynette Letford. 18-year-old uh, Shirley was hitchhiking home from a Halloween party in 1979, which, I mean, hitchhiking was normal back then, so yeah, that's it true. wasn't, like, out of place for her to be doing that. Unfortunately, she was picked up by Bittaker and Norris at a gas station, and a night of torture ensued for Shirley, who was just trying to make it home. Um, her mouth was violated by Norris. Norris broke Shirley's left elbow by striking it repeatedly with a hammer. Um, even after the bone broke, Norris continued to hit it. Her privates were mutilated with pliers. Yeah. Uh, she ultimately begged for death to end the torture. And Norris and Bittiger dumped her nude body on someone's lawn in a suburban neighborhood. Shirley was found by a morning jogger and an autopsy revealed that the cause of death was strangulation by a wire coat hanger. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know, 
It's, that's insane. But it, like you said, like that could not. That's like not their first. No, victim. it's not even their first victim. Like they did the same thing, and I mean, I didn't even go into all the details here. Like there, I could have gone very much into detail. I mean, they have. Well, I'll get. I'll get into that later. But okay, go ahead. So the conviction. This is kind of a big chunk. Um, Norris and Bittaker were arrested on November 20th, 1979 on different counts. Norris ended up pleading guilty to four counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, two counts of rape, and one count of robbery. Um, so Norris actually ended up testifying against Bittaker at Bittaker's trial. Uh, so due to the plea and testimony, prosecutors agreed to seek neither the death penalty nor life without parole at the hearing. Why? Because he had basically convinced uh, prosecutors and everything that it was all Bittaker and he like only did this because of Bittaker's influence. And I mean, looking back at like Norris was the one who did most of the things too, surely. Because mm. he was the one who broke her elbow. He was the one who violated her. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. That to me, I'm like, oh, you guys win, but whatever. Um, I, I mean, he had just very much convinced everyone that he was not at fault here, really. Um, but a probation officer testified that Norris had no remorse for his crimes and was an extreme sociopath. So on May 70, 70, <laughs> on, on May 7th, 1980, Norris was sentenced to 45 years to life imprisonment and he died on february 24th 2020 of natural causes at the age of 72 oh good yep wow so so yeah that was just last year that 2020 yeah wow so bitteker on the other hand was arraigned on 29 charges of kidnapping rape sodomy and murder when asked how he was going to plea, Bittaker remained silent to the judge. Oh, so the judge entered a not guilty plea for him. Uh, his trial began on January 19th, 1981. Norris began his testimony on January 22nd. And the most damning evidence was an audio tape Bittaker and Norris had recorded of Shirley's capture, torture, and subsequent murder. They recorded it? He recorded it. Oh my gosh. That poor woman. I know. Um, Girl. On, yeah, she was, she was 18. Yeah. She was literally just becoming an adult. Not, I wouldn't even say 18 as an adult. That's like fresh yeah. out of high school. Yeah. And on Halloween night, she's still in high school. Well, she could be like a freshman in college. Yeah. But, but that's, that's she's still very so young. young. That's very young. It's so sad. I, this, yeah, this is hard to get my mind around. Um, so on February 17th, 1981, the jury found Bittaker guilty on five counts of first degree murder, one charge of conspiracy to commit first degree murder, five charges of kidnapping, nine charges of rape, two charges of forcible oral copulation, one charge of sodomy, and three charges of unlawful possession of a firearm after the jury deliberated for three days. Three days they had to deliberate on this? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they had a lot to talk about. All those charges, like, yeah, that's a lot. Um, so I'm not surprised. 
but Bideker was sentenced to death for the five counts of first-degree murder on February 19th after only 90 minutes of deliberation from the jury. So that's pretty quick. That Especially quick. for sentencing someone to death. Like, normally, they're like, it oh, takes a long time. Know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so on March 24th, Bideker was formally sentenced to death. And if the sentence was ever reverted, so, like, if the death penalty ever was revoked in California. California. Yeah, was California. And that was the first one. Shoot, where was this? I think it was I didn't write where it was, because the first one was Napa Valley, but <laughs> I think this was in California. <laughs> Bless you. Sorry. This was most likely in California because that's where all the serial killers come from. Um, Shout out California. So anyway, so the sentence was ever reverted. The judge imposed a sentence of 199 years and four months of imprisonment. The four months. Yeah, I can't forget the four months. So Bideker died while incarcerated on death row on December 13th, 2019 at 79 years old. He He's also gone. just died. So the audio recording of Shirley's torture and murder is currently in possession of the FBI Academy and is used to desensitize FBI agents to the reality of torture and murder. Wow. You could listen to that. I hopefully will have to. Not hopefully because that's awful, but I want to go through the FBI Academy. So like, hopefully I'll be in a position to listen to it, but I also hope I never have to hear that because that's scary that's scary i did read through a lot of the transcript of it um it was posted on this person's on like a blog talk murders from the article um they had a lot of the transcript on there so that was that was hard to read so yeah yeah that was the maybe you the can show me results. some after we are done i want to i want to read sure? a couple, yeah i want to read a couple lines it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. You still have the article? I still have... Yeah, I can find it. Okay, good. Okay. And that is the stories of Adrian Insogna, Leslie Mazzara, and Lauren Nianza, um, Shirley Lynette Ledford, and her murderers, Lawrence Bittiger and Roy Norris, and the Liskey family sad that's that yeah. but happy halloween yeah happy halloween stay safe out there don't hitchhike especially um sleep with all your lights on with two men in a van yeah don't get don't get picked up stay please. safe be Make safe sure your drink doesn't get roofied because yeah that's not good don't get into a strange uber stay with friends yeah stay with friends be safe Everyone have a happy Halloween. Kate and I will be also having a happy and safe Halloween here in Missouri. Yep. That's that's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> okay. okay. Episode three done. Episode three. Thank you all for listening or watching. Um, we appreciate it. Yeah, don't forget to subscribe on the YouTube and on the Spotify. Follow us. Yeah, follow and, us. And I mean, we're up to like six listeners on Spotify. Ooh. So. Can't wait till it's like 6K. Let's go us. Yeah, we'll be fine. Okay, we'll see you guys in November. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. November, Happy Thanksgiving. 
is next week. Yeah, the day after we post this on Halloween. Well, I'm gonna post it like tomorrow probably. Oh, rip. Okay, so, are we signing out? We that's crazy. We say goodbye now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. bye.